0: This morning we're uh, picking up where we left off in Daniel. So if you weren't here last week, which most of you, <coughs> um, just to review, we're in chapter two this morning. We're going to take a a chapter each week. Um, it's a hefty book, but we only got so many weeks, and to get it done, we're going to need to do the sort of the thirty thousand foot flyover version of a study through Daniel. And and there's nothing wrong with that. There's actually some benefit to that. Sometimes we study things so minutely and so meticulously that we miss the big picture of what it's trying to tell us so we're taking a chapter a week and last week we were in chapter one and and what a lot of what we did last week would just set the stage and give you a little background to this to this book and so that it makes a little bit of sense to you i can't spend that much time on it again this week but i just give you a little bit um so where you find yourself when you open up to the book of daniel is around 600 years before Christ. Around 600 B.C., that's just roughly speaking. Um, I mean, technically, the... Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll just... Never mind. Um, about 600 years before Christ, and uh, what has just happened, the the Babylonians were the power of the day. Um, and they had just, in in three stages, conquered the southern kingdom of... Judah. At one point in their history, Israel was a united kingdom under King David and under King Solomon. But after Solomon was gone and his sons and grandsons took the throne, who were not godly, they were evil kings, um, uh, the, the kingdom divided. And it divided between north and south. The northern kingdom were 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they kept the name Israel. And the southern two tribes of Judah and Benjamin kept the name of Judah, since of those two tribes, Judah was the larger. So Israel was the northern kingdom, Judah was the southern kingdom, and in 721 B.C., the Assyrians came and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, A little while later, in technically 586 B.C., the Babylonians were now the big guy on the block. They took over the Assyrians, took over all that they had, and wanted to add more to it. They set their sights on the southern kingdom, of Judah. Uh, <clears throat> and they overtook, uh, Judah and they overtook Judah and they like went after him in three stages and it's in that first stage of going after the southern kingdom of Judah that Daniel and his three friends who are prominent in this story were carried off to Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar and, and they're working in the palace of King Nebuchadnezzar and part of the point of, uh, of chapter 1 was is noting how um, the, the pressures that Daniel and his friends were under, like the program that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians put them under to change them from who they were as the people of God to who they wanted them to be. So they changed their names, right? Except for Daniel. Daniel kept Daniel. But Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael became Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Oddly enough, the, the, the Hebrew names that they had Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Those names, the meaning of those names called upon the Lord. And they changed their names to Babylonian names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Names, the meaning of those names, calling upon the Babylonian gods. Basically said, you belong to us now. We're we're changing your very identity. We're going to give you new names. And it says in chapter 1, they spent three years teaching them, teaching Daniel and his friends... The literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Basically saying, we don't want you to think like you used to think. We want you to forget the scriptures. We, we want you to think like we think. And see the world the way we see the world. So they taught them the culture, the literature, the language. They, they were only going to be allowed to eat whatever the king gave them. So they're going to learn to depend on the king for their well-being. And for everything good that they have in their life. Um, I mean, just it, it was a constant barrage uh of of re re-education reorientation. And it was a it was a battle for Daniel and his friends to stay faithful to the Lord during that time. But but we we were just getting a, a glimpse into into Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian kingdom and what the what life in the palace was like for Daniel and his three friends in chapter one. Well today we're coming to chapter two and uh and and we're gonna think from this chapter about an everlasting kingdom. I think that's the point of this chapter that we're to to get. This is a fascinating chapter um, that should be deeply encouraging to to every believer. There is is so much to learn from this chapter. There is no way we could get out of this chapter all that there is to get out of it in in one morning. But in truth, that's kind of the amazing thing about the Bible. Like... There, whenever you pick up the Bible and read it, there is always, always, always more there than you can see at any one time. Because that's that, that why you can keep coming to the Scriptures every day for the rest of your life and never get bored with it. Because you're always going to see something that you didn't see before, perhaps. Um, and that's, that's pretty cool. Well, this, this chapter, we're going to read it in just a second, revolves around a dream that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had. A dream that troubled him. A dream that upset him badly. And it was Daniel, as the story will show us, who was able to declare to him what the dream was and what it meant. And we're going to see that as as weird as that dream was that Nebuchadnezzar had, the meaning of that dream is what is so encouraging still to us today. Um, There's literally nothing in this chapter that's not instructive for us today. Nebuchadnezzar's reaction to his own dream, the dream itself, What the dream means um, has a lot to teach us. So let's let's read the chapter, uh, and then I'll tell you what I want us to see in it. So Daniel chapter 2, beginning in in verse 1, we're going to read the whole chapter. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. And we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn from limb to limb. And your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream. And I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Ariok, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Ariok, the king's captain, why is the decree so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in uh, the darkness. And the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in to Ariok, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation." Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. He did have a new name. I don't know why I said that. Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen in this interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in your bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this And he who reveals mysteries made known to to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king the king of kings to whom the god of heaven has given the kingdom the power and the might and the glory and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell the children of man the beasts of the field the birds of the heavens making you you rule over them you are the head of gold another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you and yet a third kingdom of bronze which you shall rule over which shall rule over all the earth there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron As you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and break them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw That a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to me, uh, to made known to the king, what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. And mic drop after that. The king, then King Nebuchadnezzar, fell upon his face, and paid homage to Daniel. And commanded that an officer that an offering and incense be offered up to him, the king answered and said to Daniel, "Truly, your God is a God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery." Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. Let's pray. Father, give us grace to, uh, to see truth in this, in this chapter. I know it was long, it was a lengthy read, uh, but help us to, to see it clearly. Help us to see the big picture of this chapter and what it, what you have to teach us in it. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear the truth and give us minds to understand it and hearts to embrace it and wills to live it out and love it. Uh, give me the help that I need to teach and teach clearly and passionately with the passion it deserves. And pray that we would all sit in submission to this your holy word in Jesus name. Amen. All right, so this chapter sort of very naturally breaks up into three. Sections that I think each teach its own uh, thing. So, the sort of in the first part of the chapter, uh, the the point I want us to get is trusting in the wrong things. We'll get that from Daniel and I mean uh, from Nebuchadnezzar and and sort of his reaction to his dream. And then the second thing, as we move further uh, into the chapter, the point there will be the sovereign power of God that's put on display. And then as Daniel toward the end of the chapter gives the interpretation of this crazy dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, we'll think about an everlasting kingdom. So trusting in the wrong things, the sovereign power of God, and an everlasting uh, kingdom. Much like the first chapter, if you were here, I think this chapter is good in that it, it helps us just see the world we live in and the way we should see it and, and see things clearly see the world we live in clearly and our lives in it and, uh, and, and what should be the priority of our lives. So let's start at the beginning of the chapter and, and think about trusting in the wrong thing. So if you remember how the chapter begins, so Nebuchadnezzar had a, a dream that, that really troubled him, deeply troubled him, so much so that he says in verse 1 that his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. So he was losing sleep. Over this dream that he had. And he'll say it again in in verse 4. No, no. Verse 3. The king said, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled. To know the dream. And we'll we'll see in just a minute what exactly that dream was and think about that. But even before you learn or think about what the dream is, there's something that can be learned just from Nebuchadnezzar here. Just from his reactions to this dream, whatever it was. So for one thing, as we, as we already noted, he was deeply troubled by this dream. And to me, that shows his insecurity, Nebuchadnezzar's insecurity. And, and here's the reason that's noteworthy to me. It's because of who he was. Like, think about who he was. And this man was so deeply insecure that he had a dream and he was losing sleep over it. And he was willing to do drastic things to find out what this dream was. We're talking about the most powerful man in the world. The most powerful man on planet Earth at the time. And, and, and there was no nation more powerful than the Babylonians at the time. There was no, And therefore, there was no king that was more powerful than Nebuchadnezzar. There was no earthly good. There was no earthly service. There was no earthly security. There was no earthly comfort or pleasure that he could not have whenever he wanted to have it, in any measure. If he wanted the best earthly security in the world, say the word, and he's got it. He had the most powerful army on planet Earth at his disposal. No matter what he wanted, It was at his his fingertips. And with all of that, he can have a dream that leaves him simply terrified and sleepless, night after night after night, willing to go to drastic measures to figure out what it meant. Even with all he had and could have at his disposal, he was deeply insecure. That's that's something to, to think about. He had everything that the world could provide, and it wasn't enough. And you see how deep his insecurity was by how he responded to this dream. What did he do? He called all the wise men in his kingdom and not only demanded that they tell him what this dream meant that he had, he demanded them to first tell him what the dream was. Tell me what the dream was, and then tell me what it meant. Why would he do that? Because he wanted to know that they weren't just telling him whatever they thought he wanted to hear you know i'll know that you're telling me something special if you can tell me what the dream was without me telling you first then i'll know your interpretation is right um he really wanted to get to the bottom of this and it bothered and it bothered him so much so to be sure that their their interpretation was right he he had them tell him what the dream was to know that their ability was true and he was here's the other thing he was paranoid like he was he paranoid that they were uh, it would bother him so much. He was paranoid. That they were conspiring against him. He says that in verse 9. Like, he he to, tells them in verse 9 uh, that it, it, he says in the middle of that verse, you have, you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. What, what does he mean by the times change? Till I'm not king anymore, until the next guy is king after me. Like you are trying to bring me down. You are trying to lie to me and corrupt things so that I tumble and fall, so somebody is king after me so he's insecure he's paranoid and it made him hostile and irrational he tells them that if they don't tell him the dream and its interpretation tells them in verse five you shall be torn from limb to limb your houses shall be laid in ruins on the other hand if they did tell him the dream verse six you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor all for telling the dream I'll, I love how in this chapter there's a sort of a section where the the, the wise men supposedly uh, speak up, and what they say sort of foreshadows the coming of Jesus. Um, when they learn that they are to tell the dream in addition to its interpretation, they complain. In verse 11, they say, "The thing that the king asks." is too difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now, they're polytheistic. That's why they say the gods. Their gods did not dwell with flesh. They, at least they're acknowledging that no mere human being could do this thing. Something divine, someone divine, must make this happen if it's going to happen. And his dwelling is not with flesh. But we know, at the end of the story, the God who's going to make this thing happen. He, in fact, does dwell with flesh in Jesus Christ. One day he would. But they didn't realize what they were saying. They were saying more than they, they knew because it actually was the one true God who would one day come in flesh who was going to make this thing known to Daniel because he's the one that caused the dream to begin with. But before we get to that, I just want to note one more time Nebuchadnezzar's actions about this whole thing. most powerful man in the world, Man that could have every, every earthly security, every earthly good, every earth, earthly pleasure, every earthly comfort all around him as much as he wanted, whenever he wanted, was insecure. And, and it caused him to be paranoid, to think things were happening that weren't happening, and people were doing things they weren't doing. And it made him irrational and hostile. And it just goes to show you. That's why I said the first point I think it's just trusting in the wrong things. For for all for your security, for your comfort, for your um pleasure, for your worth. Pinning all your hope and happiness and all these things in in the things of this world, whatever it may be. Whether it's whether it's I don't know. Money and material things or it's School and your grades, or it's your looks, or what you look like, or how you can dress, or what friends you have, or whatever it may be. Like Nebuchadnezzar had all of that, and one little dream showed the weakness of his security. Don't don't trust in these things. Don't trust in 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 earthly comforts, earth earthly securities, earthly uh, things earthly to give you your worth and value or anything such as that. Don't trust it. Don't pin your hope on those things. Or, uh, because while some of these things are fine in their, in their proper place, they're a fragile source of peace. Fragile. It's just a mirage of security. A mirage of self-worth. Um, yeah. What, so what should we trust in? Daniel shows as we think about the sovereign power of God. When none of the wise men are able to tell the the king his dream, he did exactly what he said he would do. (laughs) It's so irrational what he does. So he has a dream, and he calls all the wise men to give him wisdom. When they couldn't give him wisdom, he killed all the wise men. Like, no wisdom in the kingdom now. You can't give me wisdom? No wisdom in the kingdom. Golly. Anyway... Um, he handed down death sentences to all of them like he said he would do, and Daniel and his three friends would have fallen under this command. That's what we learn in verse 13. It says they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Daniel said, whoa, 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 why so fast? He made made it known to the the captain of the guard, hey, give us us a minute and let let us do what we think is right. And in verses 17 and 18, they said that Daniel went and told his friends, and uh, they they went to seek mercy from the God of Heaven concerning this mystery. They went straight to the Lord. We saw that in chapter one that God is sovereign over all that is. And that God had already given Daniel favor in this thing. When the other when the other why it's funny when, remember when the other wise men said give us time they're like you're, he's like you're stalling, you know. But when they asked for more time he's like sure. God was giving them favor. And. Uh, when Daniel asked for it in verse 16, that, that's where you see that. He's like, yeah, you got more time. But now that he has some more time, he spends it in prayer. And as he prayed, Daniel, uh, God revealed to Daniel the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and also what it meant. And Daniel kept praying. And look at how he addressed God uh, in his prayer. He opens by blessing God and praising God. And he says in verse 21 and 22, about God. It says He he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with Him. God changes times. God removes kings. God sets up kings. God gives wisdom. God reveals hidden things. God knows what is in the darkness to us. As he would tell Nebuchadnezzar just a few verses later in verse 28, there is a God in heaven. And we have yet another reminder in just the first two chapters of the book of Daniel that this world and everything in it, the life of a king, the life of a servant, my life, your life, small to great, belong to the Lord. And he directs all of it as he desires. That that truth leaps off the page in the first two chapters of Daniel. And think about the supernatural peace and security and comfort that must have flooded Daniel's mind in that moment. Like, read the Bible autobiographically, which means, imagine that you were that person in this story, right? To pray and say to God, you... Set up kings. You remove kings. As he sat in the king's palace. He knew that he was praying to the one who who was the sovereign lord over Nebuchadnezzar. Who Daniel had just said, you're kind of, in, in this world, you're kind of the king of all the kings. He knew the one who was over him. He knew that was true. God is sovereign over this king under whose death sentence I sit right now. You know? The greatest comfort in all the world is knowing that you are a child of God in Jesus Christ, and nothing in this world can change that. Right? And he is, God is in complete control over everything in your life, and He's good. That was Daniel's comfort. And he took comp- that comfort into the presence of the king to share with him his dream. And it's meaning. In verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel. If he's able to tell him these things. Daniel makes it very clear. In verses 27 and 28. That no. Neither he nor anybody else. Is able to do these things. But there is a God in heaven. Who reveals mysteries. And it was a God who revealed to him. It was God. Not a God. It was God who revealed to him. His dream and its meaning. meaning. And at that. Daniel begins to lay out to Nebuchadnezzar. The dream. And while Nebuchadnezzar might have thought he had built a great kingdom, what he he learns in this dream is that God is building an everlasting kingdom. What Nebuchadnezzar actually dreamed was sort of weird, as dreams usually go. In his dream, he saw a huge figure. I want you to pay attention to what... I want you to pay attention for next week's sake. Pay attention to what this dream actually was as it's going to play into the next chapter when you have uh daniel his three friends bring thrown into the fiery furnace that's a great chapter by the way but this dream in chapter two is going to be picked up in chapter three in in an interesting way but so this dream was kind of weird it tells us he saw a huge figure that scared him and Daniel tells us in verses 32 and 33 that the head of the image was fine gold, its chest and arms were silver, its middle and thighs were bronze, legs of iron, feet partly of iron, partly of clay. Um, and as he was looking at that, at that figure, Daniel says that in verse 34, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And At the end of verse 35, he says, the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And That's the dream. Keep you up at night. <laughs> what did it mean? Well, Daniel will tell Nebuchadnezzar that the figure that he saw made out of the different things represented great kingdoms of the earth. Right? In fact, he outright tells Nebuchadnezzar in verse 38, you are the head of gold. That's the part that's going to play into the next chapter. Okay, Sneak preview. Nebuchadnezzar, you and your kingdom, you are the head of gold of this, of this figure. And the rest of the figure, made out of the different things, represent great kingdoms that would come after his. That's what it literally tells us. And on this side of history... On this side of things, Daniel was saying it ahead of time, looking back on what's already happened, it's it's not really hard to figure out, perhaps, what earthly kingdoms he was referring to uh, when when he was uh, revealing them. Because they're all ones that supposedly came right on the heels of the Babylonian kingdom. And so... The chest and arms of, I'm not saying this with dogmatic certainty, but I'm just saying it most likely is this. The chest and arms of silver are most likely the Persian kingdom, kingdom, who were the ones who eventually conquered the Babylonians, right? The the middle and, and thighs of bronze likely represents the Greek kingdom under Alexander the Great, who came after the Persians. Because Daniel would say in verse 39 that this particular kingdom would rule over all the earth. Well, Alexander the Great had purportedly done nearly that by the time he died at a young age. And finally, the legs of iron, the, with feet partly of iron and partly of clay is traditionally understood as the Roman Empire. And Daniel says that this empire would crush all the ones before it but the feet partly of iron and partly of clay means it would have cracks in the foundation from the beginning, which it did. Even that mighty empire came to an end. But what about the other part of the dream? What about that stone that wasn't cut out by any human hands that came and crushed all the other kingdoms and then grew into the mountain that covered the whole earth? What is that? Well, Daniel tells us that too in verse 44. And in the days of those kings... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom. That's why it's not made out of any human hands. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom. That shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. It shall stand forever. God would be building a kingdom even during those days and it would outlast all the others and it would grow throughout the whole world and it would crush all the others. I want you to notice a couple of things. Notice, first of all, let's think back to that figure. Remember, made of different things, and each different thing represented a kingdom that would come after the Babylonians. Notice, first of all, that the kingdoms in the vision, as as they move forward in history, are represented by gold, then silver, then bronze, and then iron and then iron mixed with clay, in other words, the material's not getting better and stronger, but weaker and weaker. You know what I'm saying? gold, silver, bronze, iron mixed with clay. so they're not getting stronger but better and and I mean, better but worse and and weaker and weaker and weaker and people the point there is people might tend to think that the world is is getting better and better or stronger and stronger. It's not. Getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And, and, and the, notice that the vision continues along the, along the different kingdoms that I mentioned. It says that God is building His kingdom right alongside all these in history. But the vision stops at the Roman Empire. Is that a coincidence? I don't know. I don't think so. God has always been building His kingdom throughout history, but a decisive moment happened during the days of the Roman Empire. Right? Christ came. And, and what were the first words Jesus preached in public? Mark 1.15, Jesus said, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And still to this day, he's building his kingdom. And everyone who trusts in him as their Savior and follow him as Lord is part of that kingdom. But somebody might say, didn't it say, though, that whenever this kingdom came, it would crush all the other ones? Right? I didn't see Jesus crush anything the first time he came. Well, he didn't. The first time. I love... I'm probably not gonna be able to find it right, right offhand. I love when uh, Jesus in 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 Luke four, Jesus stands up. They they hand him. He was in the synagogue on the on the Sabbath, and they hand him the scroll. And he stands up. He finds a place in Isaiah, and he begins to read in Isaiah. And he gets up, and Jesus reads. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. And anybody in that room that day, in that synagogue, would have said, He stopped in the middle of a verse. They knew Isaiah 61. They knew that he got halfway through verse 2 and stopped. Halfway through verse, the first half says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The second half of the verse says, and the day of vengeance of our God. That's what he didn't read. Why? Because that's not what he came to do the first time. That's what he's coming to do the second time. The first time he came was to bring the year of the Lord's favor. When he comes again, it's the day of vengeance of our God. What does it say in Revelation 19 about when he comes again? When he comes again, he will strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Golly, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That is the day when all that Daniel saw in that dream will finally come to pass. Right? What was, what was Nebuchadnezzar's reaction to all that? Well, he showered him with gifts and titles. And it even says that Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage, not to God, but to Daniel. I mean, there's a couple of times in, in this, like here, and then again in chapter 4, remember when God makes Nebuchadnezzar go crazy and eats grass like an ox, and fingernails all grow out and nasty. And he bring, finally brings him back to his senses, and and, and Nebuchadnezzar has this beautiful like hymn of praise to god in chapter four his says of god his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures for generation and generation you know and it ends up with none can stay his hand or say what have you done it's like a beautiful hymn of praise to god but nebuchadnezzar's not a believer he's just impressed for a moment he's impressed for a moment it's not genuine it's going to be plain it's not genuine in chapter three but the only issue that will matter for people today and on the last day will be whether I belong to the kingdom of God. And how does that happen? Just like Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. You know? What a beautiful word.